so welcome everyone to I Spit on Your Podcast, a monthly horror podcast brought to you by the Spinsters of Horror. This is a time once a month where Jess puts down her bloody knitting needles and I step away from the TV to discuss horror movies and sometimes other horror mediums with thoughtful analysis, research, and passion. So I'm Jess. And, and I'm Kelly. <laughs> and we flew in on our broomsticks onto the horror scene of July of 2018. We are celebrating our three-year anniversary this month. So to assist in filling the void of female voices in podcasting with our show, I Spit on Your Podcast. So as women, we knew that the genre was dominated by men with a heavily masculine perspective. So we felt it was time and important to celebrate and encourage female horror fans while at the same time remaining inclusive to all who love horror. So you can find me behind the scenes editing and crafting and creating all kinds of new ideas for the project. And Kelly can normally be found in her dark basement with a mug of black coffee, heading up our social media. And we are very excited to be here. Yes, so join us as we go deep into the woods to explore Robert Eggers' The Witch from 2015. This New England folktale took witches, Satanists, and horror fans by storm, and for good reason. It's rich storytelling, authenticity, portrayals of historical witchcraft, puritanical idolatry, and the strong feminist undertones made this one of our absolute favorite horror movies. We will discuss the themes of Black Philip as a symbol of Satan, satanic witchcraft and its empowering force, portrayals of womanhood, motherhood, even anti-motherhood. The Witch, Our Sinister Rebel, is one of the oldest fighters against paternal domination with an important relationship to Satan. She will reign and hex the patriarchy. So pick your poison and listen on if you dare. What went we out into this wilderness to find? Leaving our country, kindred, our father's houses. For what? For the kingdom of God. Let us pray. this family.
We could be here all night talking about the movie and these themes, but we've got like 40 minutes. So let's get into this. First off, we're going to start talking about Black Phillip, everybody's favorite black goat. (laughs) And we'll start a little bit of the history of of goats in satanic imagery and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's believed that early Christians were seeking out to demonize pre existing pagan traditions. And they drew comparisons between the devil and the Greek god Pan, who happened to resemble a goat. And goats get a bad rap in the Bible itself, don't they, Jess? They sure do. And this is always something that has been very interesting to me as well, because I had always wonder, like, why the image of the goat? Why is the goat always associated with Satan? Why are we supposed to fear this really adorable? I find goats, goats adorable creatures. <laughs> And I think they're so strong-headed. <laughs> and now I've like doing some more of this research about this. I realized that. So it goes back to two different elements um, in you know Christianity and also in Judaism. So in biblical references, in one of uh, Jesus's teachings, he mentions in Matthew um, 25, 31 to 46. I don't know the proper terminology anymore for that <laughs> stuff. That's my old Christian background. Um, <laughs> that what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And so that, he used the terms of the goats would be placed on the left side of the son of man and that while the sheep will be placed on his right. And so he was using this goat metaphor to represent those who neglect the needs of his people. So we ta- often refer back to uh, Christ or Jesus Christ as a shepherd. He's always seen as shepherding his people and separating those from the flock who would not, who would, you know, be the bad kids and they would, you know, call them out so they don't outnumber the sheep. You would also want to do this in goat farming. So there's actually a continental thing where it's like, you know, goat herders would try and keep their goats away from the sheep so they wouldn't um, have too many baby goats over the supply of milk. But anyway, it became like the separation, <laughs> this idea of herding people. And if you would keep, you know, the sheep or the followers and they follow, they, you know, they would, they trust in, and of course my cat's coming. They would trust, in, <laughs> they trust in God. They, they, they're willingly to follow. Whereas yes. goats have a reputation of self-reliance and stubbornness. Yes. They lean upon themselves. They don't need the support of God to get them through their daily lives. Whereas the shepherd need, like the shepherd's role is important for the sheep like the sheep need the shepherd the goats don't need the shepherd so what ended up happening is that a lot of uh interpretation around this parable was that oh the goats are the non-believers they're you know the people who are who worship satan and who are leading down a, going down a path of destruction because they're not waiting for the arrival where the sheep they are and so it's like separating you know so of course people they hear these things in the bible like well the bible says it goats are bad (laughs) jesus separated them all up from the sheep and we need to clearly just start referencing more to a satanic uh, imagery another idea that came from the bible was and it's not even from the bible it's from judaism um was yom kippur which is the day of atonement which is a jewish holiday and back in the back in those times they used to use two goats would be used to represent the sins of the community so a high priest would come fill the goat with all the sins of the community and then send them out to the desert, which is 
thus the term scapegoating, you know, because the goat is supposed to represent all the evil of the community going out and then they're able to, you know, be free of whatever evil that came up in the community. And so it's interesting because later on in the Bible, we hear about how like Jesus meets the, the devil in um, the desert because that's where all the evil has been driven out with all these goats, all these goats going out there with all of the people's sins. Yeah, so essentially the goat kind of stands in for the selfish, cold, and uncaring people who defied God's words. Yes. Goats. <laughs> and so goats are obviously a very familiar pop culture reference and kind of an icon, mm-hmm. right? In reference to, to Satan himself. And it's built upon just that just little bit of information of layers and layers of influence. And even just recently, Jess and I watched, the, we watched the entire Fear Street trilogy, but in 1666, the Spoiler, I guess. No, it's not a spoiler. At the end of the third movie, we just see the inside of the Goods house. Okay, this Mm -hmm. massive mansion that they have acquired this entire fortune over killing people from Shadyside. But the entire mansion, almost to, like, it's a joke, filled with goats and rams everywhere. Stuffed, Mm. full bodies, heads, horns, like, they're everywhere. So obviously... When people think of goats, they think of the devil and evil things. I'm going to do quotations, folks. So what does that mean for Black Philip and using the image of the goat and the witch? So Akers himself even said that goat mythology and all of that with regards to witches is more of like a continental, like medieval European thing. And even going back to, there's this professor of early modern history named Malcolm Gaskill. So he was like, he had also said, like, there's no real straight answer of why we're using, you know, goats in this way. But he had said that, yes, like I said, they had played a prominent role in European witch imagery, but the Puritans over in New England, that's, that's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But European engravings and paintings depicted the witches sabbath yeah <laughs> but that's where these these meetings were where witches were supposed to pay homage to satan and then the devil in these paintings and the this imagery and these this artwork was depicted as a goat or goat like man so eggers used that kind of like old medieval kind of imagery in his film i mean the goat is iconic so i get that it's like often like relating it back often into the image of malevolent spirits oh my goodness i can't say that word malevolent malevolent spirits right (laughs) which is often the case like you said relating the goat to the devil to the horns the weird eyes the very you know Apparently, prairie predatory sexual potency is around with the images of the goat and lots of energy. Yes, I've seen goats. They have a lot of energy. They are stubborn. <laughs> they are going to, you know, bash heads with anything of what they want. <laughs> so, of course, yeah. you know, especially for goat imagery and, and especially in a lot of European countries that, are, you know, heavily influenced by religion and stuff like that, they're going to see the images of this goat as evil and connecting them to evil because this independence and you don't want that right you do not want that in any kind of religious establishment you're like you know um catholic heavily catholic religious establishment like no we don't want you to think for yourselves because you are sheep you are sheep and you are to follow the shepherd who is christ in the the church (laughs) and all these things yeah we even have thomas and say the adversary comes in the shape of a he-goat and whispers he is lucifer from the subtitles on the witch you learn a lot you learn a lot when you watch <laughs> the subtitles on that in that film yeah absolutely kind of jumping off what jess was saying with regards to our sexual potency and the energy there's a lot of sexuality that we'll talk about this evening because it's really important mm-hmm. and prevalent throughout satanic witchcraft emerging womanhood motherhood witches 
just everything. So we'll talk about that. So Black Philip, what does he necessarily represent? He represents a variety of different really interesting things. The horns of a goat, the horns of Black Philip represent fertility, our crescent moon, menstruation, and essentially the feminine. Black Philip in the movie is also Satan. So he's essentially like this satanic subversion of patriarchy and Christianity. And per Faxnald, who wrote our tome here of satanic feminism, had said, the horns of the devil not only signify his power, but his associations with death and the underworld in uncontrolled, destructive sexuality. <laughs> And that's what makes the scene, and we'll go in, obviously we'll go into spoilers in this episode about the witch, but the very final scene between Thomason and Satan or Black Philip is very reminiscent of Eve in the garden, right? Where when Eve is being asked by the serpent, you know, do you want knowledge? Because God has lied to you. You know, God is telling you that you're going to die if you obtain this knowledge, but that is not true. I'm, I will give you knowledge and you will see that that's not what's going to happen. The very same scene is happening to Thomason at the end of the film, you know, was that love to live deliciously yes of course i do you know would that you want to know knowledge you want to be liberated from this patriarchy that's essentially gonna like bound you to a fence to take care of children because that's what you're what you're looking for that's what you're asking for um if you want to not live this way or not want to know knowledge or not understand you know how the world works Absolutely. And there's even this like subversive messaging in the witch itself. Mm -hmm. So you have William, the father, our patriarch, yes. our kind of weak patriarch, uses the horns to attempt to control Black Philip, who is, quote, misbehaving. He's being a goat. He's doing yeah. his own goat thing. But then later on, guess what Black Philip uses to kill William? Yeah. yeah. His fucking horns. Sorry. I didn't figure out that it's okay to swear. <laughs> but like killing our patriarch and Mm -hmm. And in essence, if we're killing that person off, and we'll talk a bit later on why that's also super important to kill William, it's opening up a world of freedom, again, sexuality and independence, as we, as we know, and we've talked about in previous episodes of our own podcast, and what we learned through The Witch is that Satan does have a connection to sensuality and pleasure. And that was so interesting watching this film for like the millionth time around and going in with the, the research that I had done about goats and the relation to satanic imagery and why that would yeah. be and why like it's a continental thing. So I was curious, you know, Edgar said it was a very continental folklore, the connecting the goat to the imagery of Satan because typically and the and the witch as well, because typically over in North America, we more relations to the witch is more like bats and cats and crows, right? You know, off to yeah. see the goat. But I think that's really interesting learning more about this biblical reference and this history to why goats would be seen as satanic or why they would be given a bad name and then understanding that back in the day it was not a good thing to be a goat herder like if you were a goat herder you were considered a joke you know because goats were very self-reliant and they're destructive and <laughs> shepherds have to have complete control over their flock and you always have to remain vigilant or they're going to hurt the other animals and they will escape enclosures and they will destroy the landscape. Goats will do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> and so in England to be a goat herder was not, not something you want to do, but yet often 
especially in uh, early America, like you couldn't afford uh, cows, you couldn't afford sheep. The goat was the most affordable animal to have on your farm and you would you know, have goat milk. So it was so interesting watching Will's relationship as a farmer, but also being a goat herder and dealing with a strong black goat who's being like, no, 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 you're not going to push me around. I'm in charge around this uh, homestead and you're not clearly because you're struggling with your own masculinity because you spend all your time just chopping wood all the time. Every time something comes up that you have to deal with, right? Right? And as I secretly invade your family from the children and up. <laughs> right. And he, and like you said, that final scene between uh, William and Black Philip, I, I remember thinking like father versus father, right? Like you have, you know, um, Satan, you know, representative of the goat, and then you have uh, Philip, you know, sorry, Philip will as you know the father figure of home and like you know at the end of the day he was just like you you know you put so much faith into a god that wasn't answering your prayers because and then all and say on too you also turned your back on that god because you had your own pride and didn't believe in what everyone else was telling you how to worship yeah now look at where yeah. you are dead <laughs> move on to witchcraft uh, definitely yes yeah. so often <laughs> like and like kelly was saying earlier often the goat is related to witchcraft because we've seen a lot of early uh paintings and portraits particularly the witch's sabbath but done by goya, uh, goya every time you see an image of a witch back in medieval times it, there was a goat somehow involved often people like to relate witchcraft to you know satan or satanic witchcraft or there's some form of a relationship and often that also comes into a sense of empowerment for women and I know as a witch myself, I find a sense of empowerment in my connection as a witch. And even all for the last two years and all that we've been doing this podcast, kind of seeing the imagery of Satan in, in my work and my own beliefs. And it always goes back to, and I talk about her often in everything I've ever done or written, like I go back and talking to Lilith. So when it comes to satanic witchcraft and it comes to empowerment, Lilith is a feminist icon and she has this connection to Satan that is as close as a witch would want to be right at the same time you know while Lilith turned around and she spurned the male chauvinist by the name of Adam she decided to become the wife of Satan or Samuel as we are told in uh, uh, Jewish folklore and one of the reasons why she had done this because she believed that she had a female she had a female sympathizer she had someone who was enlightened to female equality someone who wanted to see her rise and see her successful and see her powerful and at the end of the day the Lilith folklore it links the witch image to Satan because you know Lilith being kind of like the mother of witches just as Eve has also linked to Satan as a, as a liberator you know Christianity created the concept of good and evil so then it ended up what it ended up doing was placing women in that role with Satan because you know if women have any kind of relationship with Satan if they want any kind of power if they want any kind of freedom it's considered bad and who else is bad in you know the eyes of, the, of a Christian Satan and women that are overtly passionate Mm -hmm. unpredictable, emotional, or hysterical. Historically, women were carnal, lusty beasts, right? And so they were easily vulnerable and easily recruited into Satan's cult, right? So the archetype of the witch, as, as I think is pretty commonplace, has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
and stems generally from like popular culture and historical mm-hmm. references in our European witches, that medieval imagery. But essentially, our witch is a strong, free-thinking woman. And of course, we're going to use that term witch very negatively against those types of women. And those witchcraft accusations way back when, really, weren't they just paranoid, misogynistic code for our skilled women, women of abilities, healing, midwifery, agricultural knowledge, social skills, financial skills. Jess has written about the guilds of, of women way back when. And again, coming back to sexual independence. So our witch essentially stands for a woman that's not subservient to the patriarchy. She is a political rebel. She's almost the original feminist, if you think about it. I am that very witch. When I sleep, my spirit slips away from my body and dances naked with the devil. That's how I signed his book. No. He bade me bring him an unbaptized babe, so I stole Sam and I gave him to my master and I'll make any man or thing else vanish I like. And it's always, I always find interesting how often people want to take the image of the witch and relate it to Satan, but relate it in the way that it's dominating, which is not the case. Like, I don't see that in any way, shape, or form. Like, often the the relationship between Satan and the witch is that of a partnership. And I see it often in, and this is what I enjoy so much about this film, is that we kind of see that beginning of that partnership. I know, like, some people like to turn around and be like, oh, no, she's just, Thomason's just signing off from one male figure to another male figure. And I was like, well, no, if you don't understand the nature between witches and satanism and satanic feminism and all these things that's not the case witches go into this relationship with satan uh, you know even a, a, in any way shape or form as a means of partnership as a means of equality as a means of supporting one another and not as you know she's not trading in one one master for another because honestly not. you cannot control a witch you cannot turn on a witch has, they cannot be controlled they or cannot dominated controlled. the only master <laughs> the only master of a witch is herself she's her own master yes absolutely and i love that you bring up that that partnership is like a perfect perfect word to use for this and folks if you kind of like what you hear tonight and you kind of like what we're we're into and whatnot we have an entire episode on satanic feminism okay we covered four different movies not just the witch but an entire hour and a half episode on satanic feminism which is kind of where we're gonna a little bit head into and touch on now because yes that partnership that that counter reading of the fall of of humankind the fall of man again in quotes Uh of eve and the quote serpent later on being shown as it was the devil manipulating and gave her freedom and knowledge which apparently to christians that's a bad thing to have so (laughs) it's um so it's essentially it's about embracing your outsider status because that's not a bad thing it's great Mm -hmm. to be a goat, not a sheep, right? And use that outsider status, that empowerment, you know, switching around that oppression and being independent to dismantle oppressive modes of, of conduct, right? And so again, our witch is a subversion of the Christian norm. And hello, covens are all run by women. (laughs) right just as witches she is her own master and then if you are not a solitary witch women all around you in a coven right and what's interesting is that you get this the idea of the witch 
herself as, as an image, as a personification. It embodies independence. It embodies perversion, rebellion, which, like Kelly was saying, is often othered and demonized. And this is why the patriarchy likes to take these women and exhibit them as monstrous. And this is why I really like how we get in the film both elements. We get the beautiful young witch in Thomason with Maiden, which we'll talk later on. And we also get the ugly witch, the haggard, old crone, you know, because there is a monstrous side to women as well. That's We're never going to never walk away from that either. But that's another way in which the church and men have tried to oppress women and oppress the witch by saying, well, no, you're ugly and scrawny or you're going to become a crone. And, and it's because of that relationship that you, that you had with Satan that turned you that way. You know, you're embracing of evil and you're like, oh, sorry, no, embracing my liberation, embracing, you know, control over my own body makes me a monstrous person. I don't understand this concept. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it either. And interestingly enough, yes, bringing it back to the witch, Thomason is never harmed by the witch, Black Philip, or Satan himself, right? Yet she is offered, like Eve in the Garden of Eden, yeah. um, offered freedom, independence, and a life of her own, right? And she's unbound by the bondage of religion, Puritanism, patriarchal rule. And that's what uh, Black Philip, aka Satan, offers her. And that's amazing. And talking about sexuality, again, because it's a really huge thing, Thomason's sexuality was previously owned by God and her family, essentially, Uh her father predominantly. And now it's owned by her. She consented, absolutely consented towards a satanic union. And in this union, she's found, I think, we think, definitely, unequivocally, empowerment and sexuality and the freedom of choosing sexuality over having her father be in absolute control of her own body. She's given, or at least offered and shown bodily autonomy. And isn't that what we all want? Well, especially when she finds out that she's going to be sold, like that her mother mm-hmm. has decided that Thomason has now reached the age of sexual maturity. Yep. And even though, and to be sold off to another family, you know, they say in the way like, oh, well, she's going to go and work for the other family and she's going to, you know, and then they'll get money for that. Cause you know, yeah. she's He's a woman, so it's easy yep. to just trade her off for some money to sit, keep us starving. But then we don't know what end up life that Thomas is going to end up in. If she's going to end up in another family, she's probably not, she's going to lose her bodily autonomy there because she'll probably be decided that, oh, you're going to marry the young son or you're going to marry the old farmer who lost his wife a couple winters ago and you're still of young age and you're still of breeding yep. stock. She's of a breeding age, prime breeding right. age. She is like 17. Exactly. She is ready to become a wife. She's ready. She's apparently ready to become a mother, even though Thomas is like, I'm not ready for any of that. You can tell from the very get go. She is a young spirited woman. She is kind of like the goat in her family. She is spirited. She is independent. You can see in the way she talks with her father. And I know we're jumping ahead about Thomason, but I wanted to say like, she already embodies within her the essence of a witch, that desire and need to be free and to be liberated and to have knowledge. And that's what makes her a welcome partner to a relationship with Satan and in a relationship with the other witches in the coven, right? And or even just a relationship with herself and her own body. Yeah, absolutely. And in my mind, Thomason becomes a literal predator of the patriarchy as she joins her all-female coven to live freely. Literal predator. How does that... <laughs> Explain to me literal predator. Well, she becomes like this embodiment of harming, like be- mm-hmm. because of her. And I and we see this again, if you put the subtitles on the witch, you can see yeah. like 
early on and the very like the one of the first opening shots you have thomas and praying she's like i've already broken all of the commandments in my mind so she's already this free spirit so i think she is the one that causes literally all of this to happen some might say it's bad yes people die I'm not advocating for that, but she's one, her spirit, her witch spirit, the essence of the witch, which we think, and I agree that is already in her, Mm. literally brings in the death of her family so she can rise and become like die, essentially her old self die and then be reborn as a witch. Yeah. I really like that. I say that, that in the sense, because I also think too, like all the deaths that happen are not because of Thomason and really not because of Black Phillip either. It is because of the like fervent religious belief that both the family members have in the sense of denial that they just will not listen to each other or listen to any kind of reason in common. And, you know, especially Catherine, when she gets into this whole inner head that she's like, which evil, like, it's just so like revenant of like the moment anyone gets anything in their eye, their head, that's like, no, this is demon othered and it's superstitious. It's supernatural. And we just, you know, instead of like reasoning with it or understanding it or accepting it, let's burn it with fire. And yeah. so I'm like, all all, like <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm like the deaths of everyone in the family are not because of Thomas and necessarily back Phillips because of how just, how they just get caught up in the fever, the fever pitch of like potential witch among them. The As witch you know, crazy. satanic yeah. panic is like that. It's like witch right? panic, satanic panic, right? Exactly. Same idea. You get that one, that seed germinating and it infects everybody else around them. And mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So we're going to move on to our final thing to talk about, which is one of my favorite things for sure. But our maiden, our mother, and our crone, our witch, our anti-mother. So talking about Thomason, since, yeah. (laughs) Talking about Thomason, who again, yes, is our protagonist. Very interesting character. Sorry, I had said, you know, in the very beginning, we see that she has, in her mind, she's already kind of this this freer spirit, like you said, Jess. I I feel like I learned a lot from focusing on this type of theme for when I watched the movie again. But um, yeah, she she prays for mercy, and we know that God gives her nothing. And later on in the movie, you see her, she has to wash and like wash her father's clothes, literally undress him. I'm not sure why she has to undress her fully capable father, but she has to do that. Go wash his clothes. We have to take care of the kids. We have to take care of the farm and the animals and this and that. She's essentially a secondary wife, mother figure. And so you're right. She's that's literally what she is brought into and born into you were just going to replicate the mother's duties mm-hmm. and role in life that's essentially that's it like here you go you're born into this and that's that's just it you don't really have any choice per se unless you want to be exiled yeah and i always think it's interesting because what ends up happening to thomason too and is that I almost feel like her mother has decided that she is not going to be a good mother because when Thomason yeah. loses Samuel, Samuel her mother is like her yeah. mother was like instantly like you are no good yeah, you will not it. be a good mother. You will not be a good wife. Yep. You're better than a servant. And that's how she starts yep. treating Thomason. She starts yes. treating Thomason like she is a servant yep. of the household. And yep. that's, you know, to like clean the master's uh, yep. wardrobe, you know, take look after the children. Like, I found that so interesting watching this this, ter- this time around that, yeah, Thomason does not get treated like the daughter after the moment Samuel leaves. She's treated like a servant. She's pretty much written yep. off. And I really related to Thomason in this watch around because I understand and understand that feeling of being kind of like, if you did not follow in line of your mother's wishes, you were, you were essentially outcast 
blasted right away and deemed unnecessary and unworthy of a role of a mother, right? Because we see definitely with a Catherine that she values being a mother over anything else. So the fact that Thomason lost a baby, she's like, mm-hmm. mm, Thomason's not going to be a good mother. Absolutely. But it's interesting. So you see how Thomason's struggling with this. And you're talking earlier about her when she's talking about how she, uh, in her prayers of God and that she's, you know, she sinned and stuff like that. But yet she still keeps trying to be good. She still yeah. keeps trying to be the right, like the good daughter, the good wife, good wife, secondary wife to her, mm-hmm. her, bro- her father, you know, the good sister, because she's trying to survive. And yeah. I thought that was so interesting when we read in one of our, our newer articles that we read about this emerging woman who with Thomason was that she consciously stepped into her stereotype. So I think this is really interesting, this idea of the embodiment of uh, Memses. So when a woman consciously steps into a role to try and dismantle the patriarchy with, from within. So you can see that Thompson mm. is a free spirit and she's going to constantly like she even challenges her father at some point during the oh, film. For sure. Yep. But at the same time, too, she's still trying to adopt the role of a good Puritan wife to try mm. to row the stereotype from within. But then we end up finding out that that's not going to work at the end of the day. For her to survive, she has to make a choice. Is it going to either embody the role of being the ideal Puritan wife or gain power, gain independence, gain status as an opportunity as a witch? Yeah. And we, we, know the, yeah. we know the role she ends up going at the end of the day which yeah. all the power to her because I, I get that. Like, I understand that too. I, yeah. as a woman at times, subvert myself to try and fit into society, to try and like erode things from within. But I've also learned in the last couple of years that that's not how things are going to change. <laughs> no. I, I need to just just rip off the bandit and just be, be who you are, be who I am and just... You know, like I will erode things from the outside. It's time to be the ultimate rebel. And then Kelly and I talked about in our satanic feminism episode, the witch is the ultimate rebel. Thomason mm-hmm. has chosen instead of to be the, you know, the ultimate servant, she's going to servant and servant of God and wife, mm-hmm. mother and hub. She's going to be the ultimate rebel. Speaking of rebellion, I'm going to talk about sex again. Oh, you know, <laughs> Kelly's favorite topic. <laughs> again, also on this rewatch, and it's very true. Yeah. Um, Kate. So Catherine, uh, the mother to, to Thomas, and she says to Thomas at the end of the movie, you had him, which oh, means she's yes. referring to Thomason having sex with the devil, which means you are no longer a virgin. And that is a big, big no, no calls mm-hmm. her a proud slut and then insinuates that she flirts with her father and Caleb massive yeah. taboos. Hello, right there. But also Yes, she is no longer a virgin. She is no longer pure. She has not saved herself for marriage and all of that. So she is, it's almost like this defining moment for Catherine. She's like, oh yeah, no, you're absolutely this bad person. You're absolutely this bad woman. You're absolutely this witch. Mm-hmm. And I that she's like already been convinced at this point. Like she already had all of those inclinings. She very easily thought Thomason yeah. was a witch. But then she's like, no, no, nope. You had sex with Satan. That's it. <laughs> yeah like from the get-go she was just like suspicious of thomason like it's I, I, in my eyes thomason had no chance and i remember talking to you later on about the film being like really interesting the relationship between thomason and her father and the sense that also she's very much like her father in the sense of her pride and her stubbornness and how often when we watch in the film never is thomason and her father will in good graces with Catherine at the same time it's always one time. or the other yeah so if like Will's in her in Catherine's good graces, 
Thomas is okay. Uh, Thomas is in the is in the shit house. If it's yeah. vice if vice versa, and I thought that was so interesting because it's like that idea of competition and threat mm-hmm. that her own mother views her young daughter as a threat to her and as competition in her own family and her own life. And so, what's the best way to eliminate a threat? Either sell it off or call it a witch and get mm-hmm. rid of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, like, just the idea of Thomas and having. The concept, the idea of her having sex with Satan is scandalous, right? It's mm-hmm. powerfully rebellious for the time. Absolutely. And also Satan's offering is, it's dangerous. It is sexual. It's enticing. It's exciting. It's this promise of community, of sexuality. Thomason at the end is so free, she levitates. Okay, folks? <laughs> Before well, that, she had nothing. She had no future. And now she'd be the witch of the woods. She And like, and you watch the elements of like her hair all of a sudden is down completely oh, right I love the covering it. I is love off the it. hair is completely down she's just robed she is in like she's nude and she is embracing nature in the woods and you know taking off those constricting garments yes of what's supposed immediately. to be all within and keep us yep. contained and keep us subservient but that's yeah. all gone now right because when you are you know i guess you would say sky clad you are exposed to the world your vulnerability is up to world and what's more stronger than a, a woman who shows her confidence what's more scary terrifying to a man and to the patriarchy a woman walking around naked and feeling confident like you watch thomason's walk too she's confident she's yeah a little nervous but like yeah. you know though all those women dancing around they're, they're enjoying themselves they're feeling themselves they're feeling yeah. expressed and relief and right absolutely. and so absolutely yeah i'm Love down that. Tangent. <laughs> well, the ending, folks, the ending, Ugh. just like it gives me chills literally every time. It's mm-hmm. so, so fantastic. So we'll talk about our mother, our symbol of yes. motherhood, Catherine. She's also a very interesting woman, yeah. I found. So she is the like, quote, standard woman of the time. She reveres God and her husband, William. She's pious. She's faithful. She's subordinate to both. And her puritanical beliefs were that women were born to serve men and God, you know? And so she is just, and I like what you said earlier, Jess, that like her as a mother is like, that defines who she is. But then also her religion is like wrapped up in it, but also wrapped up in the motherhood aspect of it. Because if you're not a mother, you're not a good woman. But I love that. Like, she is so, like, steadfast and, like, headstrong about, like, this is who I am. This is my identity. I am a mother. I'm a religious mother. What's really interesting, too, is we're saying that about Catherine and watching Catherine this time around is interesting because she was conflicted earlier on. She talks about at one point being so in love with Christ that she would have married him, which made me think about nuns. Because, yes, if you're back in the time, back in those times, if you were not going to be a mother, you know, and devote your life to your husband and your family, the other option was to go be a nun, you know, and to become a bride of Christ and to marry into that. So she is. But she decided to turn away from that, to marry Will and to have a family. Family. And now look what's happening. It's apparently being torn or torn apart by this evil within. <laughs> and yeah. she quotes uh, a really interesting thing. And once again, I've recommended people who have not seen this film as many times as we have to watch it with the subtitles because there's yep. so many interesting things that are said. And I've watched this film so yep. many times. She talks about Job's wife. And I remember yep. being like, Job, I know this. I remember this from my yeah. early, you know, uh, <laughs> Catholic days. And yeah. the story of Job, the book of Job is all known about under undeserved suffering and so when she is talking about the time the story of when job loses all his children his possessions his health and he has this wife she's very she's nameless throughout this book and she appears in the story after job has been like so ill and stricken with boils and stuff like and she tells him yells at him to curse god and die 
just be like, just, just curse God and die. Because what's happening is that there's this, apparently this battle between God and Satan um, trying to like convert uh, Job and Job is uh, testing Job's faith in God. And everyone hated her for that. And there's been this like huge misinterpretation about her that she was speaking up against God, that she was denouncing that she was a bitter woman. And that's what Catherine is relating herself to that all of a sudden she's become this bitter woman because she's asking her husband to just like curse God and die, just like walk away from all this. And it's sad because she's usually condemned as a figure in Christian and the Christian virtue. And she's often among the hall of shame of women, which is really unfortunate because when you start thinking about the story of Job and his wife, she suffered just as much as him and just as much as Catherine is suffering as well. I also noticed that too. And I don't know that much about Job. So I'm glad that you <laughs> you looked that up. But what I found was really interesting in that whole like monologue and that whole scene is that it adds so much despair mm-hmm. that she, that her faith is shaken. She's just yeah. like, oh, I don't even know like it's almost like her facade crumbles her whole identity starts to crumble because it's very deeply rooted in who and who she is as a mother and I think we talked a lot about how important her mother is that she very also very easily thinks that Thomason is a witch William wants proof of course he ends up putting some of the, the pieces together that are coincidences but it's a superstitious time so coincidences aren't a thing it's superstition all of this points to you're a witch so Mm -hmm. we're just gonna go with that right (laughs) right if you're in a very heavily religious mindset and state you're gonna believe those clues quicker those superstitious clues and actually the rational thoughts and when she's like i said when she's already consigned herself to being the bitter wife and being the uncompassionate woman and stuff like that like she's already consigned herself to the her lack of faith in the sense of that she is now spoken words that she can never un- speak again or be unheard and that she herself is stepping out of a place and being introspective and showing expressions of despair and grief and really she sh- you know at the same time too they're telling her you shouldn't be doing that you sh- you know you should just be like will's like calm woman calm like stay yeah. calm and she's just like yeah. we are she dying can't. things are yeah. happening but you know there's also this belief in the witch that they're being poisoned by this um by the rotting of the corn so it's like you make yeah. her wonder is like is this her fervent religious belief that are really turning her against her own daughter and her own family? Or is this this poison that's messing with her mind? Er, Ergot poisoning? Ergot poisoning, thank you, yes. Uh, Yeah. I want to bring up, lastly, about Kate because I, again, found this really interesting. At the end of the movie, Satan initially appears to... Catherine in the images of her dead sons. And because Catherine, Kate is so wrapped up in her identity as a mother, because that's just literally who she is. That's all that she is. She's easily transfixed by these images. Caleb says to her again, subtitles, (laughs) ask her to look at a book that he has mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the devil's book but she's way too distracted because samuel needs to eat he needs to be yes. nursed so she's so distracted by these maternal duties that is so deeply ingrained in her being as a woman of this time that hey also satan kind of moves on maybe yeah. got two for the price of one but he ends up <laughs> just getting one but we move on to Thomas and next because she's not bound by all of this. And as we said, she already has the makings and the essence of a witch inside her or a free spirit, an independent woman. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting this time around too. Like she's so focused on feeding the baby, you know, she doesn't recognize. And I almost yeah. feel like she's like, you know, the whole uh, image of the bird pecking at her breast at the same thing too. It's kind of like, well, yeah. this is what you want. You will endure this pain to be this mother. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yes. And then our last bit that we're going to talk about this evening, of course, the witch, the crone, our symbol of anti-motherhood. Mm-hmm. So in medieval 
history, the historical witch imagery. There's infanticide, devil worship, cannibalism, and free sex and free love, right? That's what we have. And the witch here, and we kind of touched on this earlier, this monstrous witch threatens to demolish and abolish this whole entire female, quote, female domain, our children, the home, the food, the animals. So I found in showing the witch in the witch, our witch figure as historically accurate insofar as like the myths and the rumors and the folklore and everything was incredible, right? She's everything you should not be. She is this demonic, satanic opposite of the life of a young woman, a young English Protestant, or a young Puritan. She breaks the code of womanhood, absolutely, almost seeming like an anti-mother figure. And yeah, and she's a fascinating figure as well. She is powerful. She's uncanny. You know, she lives outside the border of civilization, so she literally lives within the woods, within nature itself. She is surrounded by the power, you know, in the sense of Satan, because Satan is a natural and also a very earthly being, right? And the witch is often very connected to the earth and to nature and being surrounded by that, whereas typically God is like, you know, very heavenly out of touch, whereas, you know, Satan is, you know, we can, you could wrap him in a hug and be all cool, right? Yeah. And and she had, but she's also in opposition of accepted values. She challenges conformity. She's a rebellion. She, you know, and back in those days to not conform as a woman was to be labeled a witch. Absolutely. And she knows at the same time, the witch, the witch is given an an ability to know things about people that we don't know about ourselves, or even that we don't even know about ourselves. And what's been interesting about the film is that often the witch which if she doesn't appear in her, you know, crone hag hag form, she appears in other forms. And Caleb, she appeared as a young woman and seduces him, right? Because he, she knew what was in his heart. Same with Will. He she he she appears as the rabbit, as the game that he's trying to capture to feed and provide his family. She appears in different ways to us yeah. as she is privy to a knowledge that we have within ourselves but are not aware of but she's aware of because she is she's broken those norms she's broken away from all that she's not constricted she's allowed herself to have that forbidden knowledge you know that women are given when we have bitten into the apple which is at the end of the day also you know seen as a no-no for witches right to have information and knowledge that other people don't and a very early on scene of the witch. So you have Catherine, our like ideal epitome of a mother and what you should be and dedicate your entire life to your children. Mm. Caleb dies. She lays on his dead body in the grave. Okay, folks, if you remember that, if you've seen the movie, lays on his body. She can't let him go because she thought so highly of Caleb out of all of her children. Caleb was the one. And then we have the scene of Samuel's desecration, the baby's death, right? Yeah. Or ritual. So it's almost like, and this is a quote from one of our uh, resources, the witch regrets motherhood, cleanliness, and youth. She's the anti-mother. She'd rather rub herself with Samuel's blood than give birth to him herself. Grim, (laughs) but yes, the exact opposite of what you should be. Well, you know, the idea that the baby's blood gives the witch power and the ability to fly, right? Is that leading to that element in this building up a case against the witch, right? That we that this anti-motherhood image against her, right? Because in a way, the witch is a mother herself, but she's a mother of everything. She's a mother of all, right? You know? Yeah. So, but because she's not the patriarchy's idea of a mother, 
She is ugly and she is crone. She's evil. She is the anti-mother. You know, they slap these images on witches being like, oh, you guys are baby eaters. You're using babies for your switches. And we're like, at the end of the day, we're like, no, we just don't want babies. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We just want other things. We want other avenues for us in life. And this is what Thomas said at the end of the day searches for where she what she goes yeah. for right she had to be a mother at a young age i back in those days i could see thomason pretty much raising her brother caleb and then eventually the twins and the twins don't even give her the time of day which you know i would love to do a, like a whole episode about the twins let's talk about those <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like totally. no no children no but yeah those are my Great. thoughts around the witch i love that last couple of things on my end is that you know you talked about how we're showing our witch figure as the crone as this hag figure terrifying power. She's monstrous, non, she's evil, non-human. So bringing this all back, round out this episode. So our satanic influence on women is strong and absolutely powerful. Our witch is primal. She's evil. She, so the archetype of the satanic witch strikes fear in the hearts of the religious, the superstitious, our patriarchal views, because what she really is, when you take away all the myth and the magic and all the folklore is something truly fearsome. She's an independent woman without a need for a man or God. Okay. So Satan as a figure, as a guide to self-reflection, self-actualization, it's not evil. It's not wrong. It's not patriarchal. It's freedom. And you know what? I'm going to end it there. Cause that's beautiful. <laughs> like I, I cannot, I cannot say anything up to, but you're right. You know, this relationship with Satan is an idea of quality and independence and freedom for women. What dost thou want? What canst thou give? Wouldst thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress? Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? Yes. Wouldst thou like to see the world? What will you from me? Dost thou see? Cannot write my name. I will guide thy hand. That ends our presentation on Robert Eggers' wickedly fantastic film, The Witch. I know it kind of we kind of sped through it a lot because we only had a little bit of time, but like Kelly and I could talk hours about this film. <laughs> So we want to thank everyone for watching. And if you are already following us, um, you know where to find us. But if you aren't, you can follow us on our website at thespinstersofhorror.com. We're also on Facebook at Spinsters of Horror. And we also have a coven group called Spinsters of Horror Coven. We're on Twitter at Horror Spinsters. We're on Instagram at Spinsters of Horror. And our podcast is on all podcasting apps. So please check us out. Check out our previous episodes, Satanic Feminism, and then rate and review us. But folks, until then, remember, the future of fear is female. 